You are listening to a Music Secrets Exposed podcast documentary series in association with Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation. Episode 5, Stage Fright. Recording a new album, The Miracle of Dolphins, by slowing down the tone of dolphins and finding the same notes on the piano. Also, giving birth, using whale sounds, and a healing from cancer. Stay tuned. segment we completed the last segment with an amazing spectacle the spectre of the Brocken and it's often been mentioned by many people that have climbed mountains that when you go up a mountain and then you come down you come down as a different person so Paul did you come down a different person what did you feel inside of you after that sequence of events going from creating poetry to the spectre of the Brocken and then coming down the mountain that day. What happened next? <laughs> well, it's a very good point you make uh, because on the way down the mountain, I realized what I needed to do next, which I had not been doing. I'd been giving some house concerts, but I needed to start going out and actually playing music publicly. I needed to see what the public response would be, not just my friends, they'd all cheer me and say, I'm great. I wanted to actually experience people. And I was deathly afraid. I mean, you know, I'm not deathly, but I had stage fright built into me. I, I was scared to go out and play in public. <laughs> but nevertheless, I organized my first concert. And nice how, how, how did you deal with the stage fright? Because I know a lot of, you know, well, I'll put it this way. There's a big conversation around stage fright or how to handle that whole scenario. So what was your method of handling that to get you to where uh, you wanted to be on it's stage? It's a good question. Let me just reserve it for a moment and just give you the build up toward that. So what I have done is I chose there were very few concert venues on Maui at that time. This was the 1960s, the 1970s rather. Um, and very, very few, early 70s. But there was one that I'd been to concerts before. It was run by the Maui Arts Council. And it was the one that frightened me the most to give a concert in because you know, you had all these, you know, elite people you know, who ran the council and, you know, rich people, everything like that, all of the snobby people. And, all the political people. You know, the people, the judgmental kind. And I said, oh my gosh, this is where I have to start. I have to start with where it frightens me the most, where I'll, 
I'll have the greatest stage fright. So I had to, the only way that I was able to deal with that was just to remember how beautiful the music is. And I have a message to deliver in playing the music, a message of beauty, a message of, of, of just inspiration. And so that's what I'm gonna do. And uh, I'm not gonna be scared I'm gonna make a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I mean, I'll hit a wrong note occasionally, but I know how to play. I play beautifully. And I'm just going to play for everybody. And that's the way I set my mind to it uh, until I entered the room where I was going to play. Because, okay, the place was filled. It was only 500 seats there. Only, only 500? It wasn't a big venue. There, there weren't large. You know, the biggest concert venue was the high school <laughs> down, the, down the road. You know, that was maybe a thousand. Was a 500 seat venue, maybe a little less, if I quite remember. But for a first but, concert, that's that's sizable. I mean, well, I, I put out the word. You know, I had to do all my own advertising. I made posters and you know posted them all over town. I got got into the newspaper about the concert and all. <clears throat> I did my best to promote it. Uh, which I never promoted a concert before, but it managed to almost fill up. When I got there, now I've, I've been practicing that piano. They let me come in and it was just a six and a half foot Yamaha. Nowhere near the beautiful Gorosian piano that I had at home. Yeah. And so, you know, those pianos, they don't have the ringing tone and that beautiful deep resonance that you have on a European piano. They're big pianos too. Yamaha makes a great piano, but this one was just an ordinary everyday piano. But you know, they had a tune for me and I practiced a lot. All right, so I was prepared to play the best that I could because I knew what the piano could do. Remember back to the whales. Yeah. When I had to play a really terrible piano. I mean, this was a decent professional piano, so I had no complaints. I just have to deliver my message the best way I can through the technique that I used. All right, so what happens is that um, I then come, I hear an audience and I come out from the private room. And there, right in the front row, is the mayor of Maui sitting there. The very mayor of the city, and I'd never met him. I'd only read about him. He was a big guy. Uh, and, you know, he had people around him, other people I'd recognized in the newspaper, other luminaries of Maui. And they were all there, and a whole bunch of them were there in the audience. And then my friends and other people. Boy, did I get scared. <laughs> I mean, that was really frightening. That, yeah, I can imagine, because, like, uh, was Hannah Veary there? No, she lives in Maui, in Oahu. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no. Uh, she came once for another concert, but not that one. Okay. So, all right. So uh, I had to, I just went into prayer, went into memory of what this concert is all about and uh, what the music is and why I put it together so that people could hear it. And I gathered my thoughts and I just 
overcame my fear. I overcame my fear by remembering, I'm gonna play for everybody. I'm gonna play the most beautiful music I know how, and they're gonna hear it, because that's what I'm doing. And I just have that mindset and come right out, sit down at the piano, I smile, and you know, you got people greet me, they do the regular thing, they all applaud, and then I sit down. I, I just put my prayer thoughts on and said, let me bring out the waterfall, that first piece that's on the waterfall music. I started to play it and it starts to come out. Uh, you don't have the deep sounding notes, but you have the notes and you make the notes beautiful. You interpret them in a beautiful way. interpret them and I bring them out and then uh, my big technique come out my ar arpeggio all come out multiple arpeggios and I'm doing my, my own thing so I'm playing the piano all the time <laughs> and so you know I I just pull it off I pull off the first piece and people just clap right afterwards you know and yeah you broke I, the ice you broke, the, broke ice. the ice and yeah. I had my audience the ice yeah. was mine you know yeah I looked yeah. over everyone was smiling all in good cheer there was there was nothing nothing going on that wasn't right. So I proceeded into the next piece and the next piece and the next piece and delivered my concert. And how many pieces? Oh, I don't remember exactly. Maybe but what, what would be what would be the average length of a concert for you now um, to perform in that environment? 42, 45 minute sessions. Okay. Now, maybe a little less, 40 minutes, but in that period, there was an intermission. Uh, and uh, I didn't serve anything. There was no coffee or tea or anything. But however, uh, I I made an intermission where I could relax. People could talk about it. So I finished the first set, and I had a very nice applause. Uh, and then I went into there was a room I could go meditate in and get quiet, prepare for the second session. I was just going to ask you that, actually, what did you do in the intermission? Because what people love to know is what happens behind the scenes? Well, I mean, a professional musicians, who knows if I go drink some wine, who knows what they do. But uh, me, no, I didn't do that. I, I just sat in the room and I said, I just prayed. I prayed. I prayed to God. I said, you know, give me the strength to deliver a more powerful, more technical second session that was music i had not yet recorded the second session and it was more spiritually evolved it had a strong asian fusion with western music okay presumably uh, coming from your zen experience no no just an asian uh, influence i, I well, you know, Zen Waterfall, which we covered in our last... That's episode. what I was referring to. I should have said Zen it Waterfall, a, perhaps. It was a hybrid album, mm -hmm. but unexpectedly, you know, unrehearsed and everything. Mm -hmm. Now I had developed some kind of Chinese-style music. Okay, um, okay. Not, not Zen. Mm -hmm. And I was really developing that. Now I really have it down to a T. 
but uh, then I didn't have it down. I was a little worried. Anyway, so it doesn't matter. I prayed on it, knew I'd pull it off, and it came out and delivered one long piece for 40 minutes or so. Very technical. It got so big at the end. I mean, when I come to the climax, I'm going like this on the piano. You know, just getting my notes really fast, really fast, super fast. Like a big technical flourish to end the whole thing, boom, like that. It ends, and people stand up on their feet and they cheer. Wow. That's exactly what I hoped, and, and it happened. And the mayor got up. Everybody wow. got up. They were cheering. They were, they a resounding were, success. Oh, resounding first success. I could not. I did believe it, but it was my greatest hopes. I conquered my fear. I conquered my fear of playing. Amazing. Uh, I think a lot of people could learn from that. You know, face the fear. You have to. Yeah. No matter what it would be, no matter what that fear would be in life, mm -hmm. whether it's playing a concert or, you know, having bad people around you could mm -hmm. hurt you. Yeah. So you have to just do your very best and put on a strong, strong face. No and what. when it came to the end of the concert and you're realizing what's happening, you like you're in the zone of finishing in a big flourish and suddenly all this erupting applause happens. Yeah. Are you kind of shocked a little? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I, you know, any artist would hope for that. I wasn't expecting it. I expected, because at home, you know, I gave concerts, people, you know, they didn't clap, they just listened. And some people would fall asleep, <laughs> but not there. No one was asleep with that one. Uh, and then I circulated through the audience and the mayor came up to me and congratulated me. Oh, wow. So never That's amazing. Heard piano played I never knew the piano could sound like that. in other words your your artistry is being validated really it was it was it, it was a tremendous validation all around that's why that's how I conquered my fear of playing in front of the public and something that I learned from my piano teacher when I was in college and that was when you're playing even the softest notes you always have to make those notes where you are articulating them and you're projecting them to the people at the farthest places in the auditorium. So if, you, if, you, if you're in a big auditorium and there's a second balcony way up in the back, that's who you're playing for. That's who those notes have to reach. And out of interest, Paul, what has been the biggest size audience that you've played to? Going through your performances? About 3,000 people once. And where was that? That was at a brand new hotel that had opened up on the west side of Maui in Kamapali, which is where the big hotels are now. Um, they had opened up that hotel and they were having a um, concert of Hawaiian music, different people, and I was invited to come and play at that concert. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and there were, you know, 20 different performers, mostly Hawaiian, yeah. famous people. But mm. they had me, they asked me to come. And so they they had bought a beautiful concert grand piano for their hotel. And they wanted to work it in. And so um, Yoshi 
Nishimura, the great tuner, he, he flew over to Maui just to tune that piano. They paid him everything, all the money he needed. It was a rich hotel. And they were having their opening. It was a big opening concert. Uh, and there were a lot of people. It was an outside, outdoor concert. A lot of people all around. And it, was a, it was an outdoor concert. An outdoor concert. It was oh, a stage. Lots beautiful. Of beautiful. And it was amplified so everyone could hear. Yeah. And I got to play for no more than seven or eight, nine, ten minutes at the most. But even so, just to save it, you know, the, the environment. Wow. And was the hotel near the ocean? Yes. On the ocean front? Well, near, right near the ocean, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. I'm just picturing it. I'm just visualizing it. Because, mm -hmm. you oh, know, we, art and environment are so interlinked. And I've seen other artists position concerts in specific environments to have a huge impact. And boy, oh. and boy, there's a big reason for it. There's a big reason for it. Um, so I'm just visualizing that picture. Well, take that to another level. These will come down in future podcasts. Uh, but there comes a time much later, and I was talking about still the 1980, 19, late 1970s right now. But in the 1990s, I bring electronic keyboards, which were now developed at that time. I bring them out to nature. I go out into the wilderness and set them up, you know, like places like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite. So yeah. we're talking about environment. My environment there was nature. My audience were the animals, the creatures, the insects, and uh, you know, there are no people around. And I played my heart out and made recordings. And those are the recordings that have gone on to my most successful albums. Beautiful. We'll talk about that later, but yes, the, the environment had to be for me nature. Mm. And I was able to go out into nature in a way that no artist ever did. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. So what happened after your first concert? What followed that? I set that? up other ones. I, I set up uh, more concerts. Uh, there was a big high school, uh, Maui High, I guess it was called. Uh, and they had a nine-foot Baldwin, older Baldwin, and a nice big stage, and a, they could hold 1,500, 2,000 people. I don't know what it was. So I organized a concert for there, uh, which was not quite so successful as the first one. It was a bigger venue. I didn't fill it up. You couldn't. Um, and the piano... It was a monster. It was an old Baldwin and it didn't sound good, it didn't play well. I couldn't make it sing. Okay. I couldn't get my message across. That's the thing about piano, you can't carry it in your backpack. You have to deal you have you way, have to deal you have to deal with what you have. But you know, I have a vision in the future sometime when they can miniaturize things, you can just press little thing you aim at it and take a big grand piano that gets a little tiny size and it goes right into a little tiny box you put the box in your pocket oh that would be perfect you where you're going to be 
you press the button and it expands up to the side you want. <laughs> but oh, anyway, that would be, <laughs> be fun. That would be fun. That's futuristic. Yeah. So what happened? So you've got these concerts going on and you're probably at this stage making your living through that, I presume. So are you planning now to do recordings and to sell recordings on the back of those concerts? And how does that happen? I wasn't really making much of a living from the concerts. Okay. Yeah. Um, there weren't that many, and Maui wasn't that big a place where you could have that, you know, many concerts. So I had a few more. Uh, but then there was, um, I needed to have some kind of recording contract. I needed to be able to distribute my music. I recorded a solo piano album that was not called Waterfall Music, but it was the basics of Waterfall Music. So all crystals. And then I had Zen Waterfall that was recorded. And I recorded an album for piano and electric violin with mm -hmm. a man named Steve Kindler. Okay. And we did a fantastic recording. Uh, and so I attracted a man who lived on the Big Island, young man, and he really wanted to get into the music industry. So we, I never dealt with a recording contract before. Uh, we wrote one up. We sent it to a friend of mine who was an attorney, not an entertainment attorney. Uh, and he looked at it and made a few improvements. And then in 1981, I signed that contract. Your first contract? To, to, to uh, distribute those first three albums that I just mentioned. Okay. The, piano, the Waterfall and the Violin and Piano album, which was called Lemurian Sunrise. But, Beautiful right. titles. There's yeah. like nature all over your titles, like Waterfall, Zen. It's, it's beautiful. Go ahead, please. Go ahead. Thank you. Yes. And so, uh, okay, so this company, uh, they started distributing the music uh, around the world. They, they mostly did it through advertising, like um, magazines such as Vegetarian Times. They were primarily selling uh, through two means, one through advertising and magazines, uh, where people from other places in the world would order. But you know, that magazine, let's say Europe or Tokyo, they, they would make the orders from there. But they also got into some distributors uh, and big distributors who would just redistribute the music. <clears throat> so that was going on. Uh, and I didn't have any input to that whatsoever. They were doing that work. Meanwhile, I was moving ahead with other projects while they were doing that. Uh, and so what happened was that by this time, now with us jump to about nine, I signed that contract in, I guess it was 81. I think it was 81. And decided then to move to uh, Oahu. Oahu okay. is where, where Honolulu is, mm -hmm. the capital island. It's, it's smaller, it has great beauty. It doesn't have the dramatic beauty of Maui, but all the islands have a great beauty to it. Uh, and so I moved there because I wanted to get more well known with my music and with my art 
but the main big thing that I decided to do is I need to do my next piano album, right? I need to do something very different from what I've been doing before. Okay. And so just by luck and by chance, I meet a, some scientists who are doing studies of dolphin behavior, dolphin sounds around the Hawaiian Islands. Dolphins, oh my goodness, okay. Okay, now you know my attention was to whales, of course. Yes, so now you're, you're moving to dolphins. But I, nature is bringing dolphins to me. The dolphins are coming to me just by happenstance meeting with these, these scientists. Okay. Group of scientists. So they invite me to their studio. They want me to hear the sound of dolphins that they've just reported in the, in the uh, I think these were, spin, if I'm not mistaken, the spinner dolphins are the acrobats of the sea. They jump out and they turn around and twirl around. Yes. And all that sort of kind yeah. of thing. And there were spinner dolphins off of, uh, um, uh, north of Maui, um, not north, east of Maui, east, west. Anyway, in that direction, <laughs> wherever they were. Yeah. And um, yeah. <laughs> get get my bearings for the moment. And I listened to these sounds. I couldn't hear them because they were beyond the range of human hearing. I just yes. heard very high pitched sounds. Yeah. So they took them and they slowed them down from the uh, there's dolphins, you know, they sounds in 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 cycles per second. The range of human hearing is maybe 20 cycles if you're lucky. 22 cycles is the most you can hear. It's almost way beyond that. So they slowed those sounds down to our range of hearing. Once I heard those sounds, there was a magic that came through me. I just, woo, I just got those sounds. And I said, oh, oh, can you please make me a tape of that sound? I need to have it. I want to make some music from this. They said, sure. So they gave me a copy of these slowed down dolphin sounds. They slowed them down about seven times okay. to the range of human hearing. Okay. So 90 cycles down to the 12 cycles. And just and for interest, based on your, your knowledge of whales and the sound the whales produce compared to the dolphin. Um, Nothing like. Nothing. Completely different. Totally. Uh, uh, the dolphins talk, they speak to each other. I mean, they actually talk and it's very fast. You know, you, we hear those dolphin sounds. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm being silly here the way I say it, but they, you know, they just talk and they use sonar, they splatter them. They're, they take sound and they just splatter the sounds yeah. around. And uh, but I say splatter very, very quick succession of notes very quick really fast again yeah, yeah. silly okay so um i heard there was i heard the music these slowed down sounds that took them back home i was living in a lovely home with a, a, a family okay her name was camille she was a wonderful wonderful lady they had two daughters uh, and I, they had that, they rented 
maybe upstairs apartment. And they had the whole downstairs of the house. Of course, I could come down and use the kitchen. Uh, they were lovely people. They had a piano downstairs, an upright piano. So I went to the upright and I started, I listened to the tape of the slow down dolphin sound. I started finding the equivalent notes on the piano from okay. what I heard in the dolphin sounds. Now I wrote those notes down. Uh, and then I'm saying, where's the music here? Oh, you know, they're kind of sounding like in the key of E. Um, take those notes and put them in the key of E, and then they change to a different key. And they, they, they mix together. Before long, I am actually creating music from those dolphin tones. Wow, so you, you're creating music, okay. Yes, it's a miracle. The miracle, which is what I named the music, the miracle of dolphins. So did you create a whole did you create a whole album of dolphin music so well i can't say that everything on that album was dolphin music but yes they were all the pieces were derived from sounds of dolphins some pieces are slow and a beautiful melody but i got that melody from the dolphins not exactly i have to interpret them and interpolate them or whatever you know to uh, they weren't the exact often singing the exact music that i play of course not i found the equivalent notes on the piano and imbued us then with uh, so embellishment. Like, oh my gosh i have a whole new thing a whole new discovery here dolphin sounds i can make music from it and it's different from all the other music nothing like it whatsoever which is what i wanted so simultaneously to doing all this Camille the lady of the house very lovely woman she comes to me and says well just Paul um we're gonna have our third child I already had two daughters young daughters uh and I've decided to have an underwater birth 
wow. And what year was this? 19... What 81. year? 81. 81. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she says, could you make me some music uh, that I could play when I give birth? Oh my goodness. But she didn't know what I was doing on the piano. I didn't tell her. And I said, oh, as a matter of fact, I'm composing my next album, which is all about dolphins. You are? Yeah, that's what I'm working on on the piano downstairs. Oh, I, I didn't know. So she says, please make me uh, some music I can play for you. I want your music to, when I give birth. Well, what an opportunity. So I really just accelerated my work on it. And then I came up with some very lovely pieces that were composed. And here I was dealing with another whole form in music at the time and even today. There's a school of minimal, minimalism. Yes. Minimalism yeah. means you're not all over the place. You, uh, you, your melodies, your notes are more limited within a certain range. Uh, by minimalism and repetition, you're able to get a certain effect upon the human brain, the human mind as the music unfolds. And it has okay. not a, just a hypnotic effect, but it has an effect where the mind now is, has to force to slow down. The mind is not involved with the critical analysis of music, but the experience of that music and what it's doing for you. That's what minimalism is basically about. So as just a, a side question here, does that encourage healing in a person? That type of music? You know, somebody... Well, yes, but you know, waterfall music was also healing for people. Very different kind of traumatic music. Okay. Uh, okay. So... Um, it's fascinating. Um, it, yes, the minimalism can, but not always. I mean, you find minimalism in a lot of... Uh, music and films yeah. for example the old german composer hans zimmer oh yes well known yes, yes yes hans yeah. zimmer is, is known for his men he 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 almost started the school of minimalism in in uh, uh symphonic music and electronic he's wonderful he's a great oh he's guy. he's wonderful yeah he's fantastic yeah, so there's an example of somebody who does minimalism mm -hmm. and okay. not only So I wanted minimalism for me. I wanted it to be really interesting. It was about the dolphins. Uh, it, it wasn't really, there's some emphasis on melody, but it was more like 
using the resounding qualities of the piano to overlay the tones of, 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 the, uh, of the resounding, you know, the, the soundboard of the piano, how it just has beautiful sound. understand how the soundboard operates if you get me how it collects the sound if you will and you're utilizing that knowledge through using registers in the piano to kind of create this sustained effect uh, right because you have one set of harmonies over another set of harmonies so it was using the harmonies to create much of the effect of the music rather than just the playing of the notes understand oh, okay. the, the use of the pedal in a new way where you have to hold the pedal down release the pedal hold it down as the new harmonies come in and get them back uh so the harmonies create this greater sound it was a very wonderful way of it playing sounds uh, beautiful oh it, it is mesmerizing actually working on that i worked hard on that and then before long i i really had worked out the music for a new album miracle of dolphins okay well then suddenly without any warning camille comes over to me and she says oh paul i just got most amazing news but it's going to affect you adversely so prepare uh my husband got a job on the mainland that pays a lot more than it's getting here in hawaii but we're going to sell our home and move to the mainland. Oh, so okay, another big adjustment. You're gonna have to move. Yeah, okay. Oh, no. I love it here. I love the people I live with. I'm happy. I can walk to places, I've got a car to go, but I mean, it was just a beautiful area of Honolulu. Honolulu. So, all right, so we have about roughly 60 days. To and it's hard to find a place I could afford because I didn't have very much money in those days. And I wasn't yet making money from the music. Um, and uh, uh, I was doing photography. I was doing I was doing photography, commercial photography. I was photographing models and actors who wanted to have a, a nice little collection of photographs. And I had a dark room upstairs. But that's what I was doing. So. Um, I'm asking around people, do you know of a place to live? Everything in the newspapers is way too expensive. Uh, and I inquire with my friends and this and that, get the word out. And meanwhile, you know, they sold their house and they're beginning, beginning to pack up and there's less than 30 days to move. And I had no place to go yet. Oh no. So yeah, so I really need a place. 
well, okay. So a friend of mine comes to me and says, I know somebody. And I think there's something really wonderful here for you. Here's someone's phone number. I want you to call them up. I called them up and says, you need, I understand you need a place to live. You're a composer. I know of your work. Said, yes. They uh, said, well, here's my address. When you come up and meet me. So I went up to this gorgeous neighborhood of Honolulu where you could look out over the whole city. It was up in the hills, higher up. Had a beautiful view of Lake of Stars. That's Honolulu at night. That's this beautiful place. And so he and his wife had, they had a big downstairs basement that they converted into an apartment. But he and his wife had decided they didn't want to rent it out to anybody. They didn't want to have a renter. He was an investor. He, he didn't need the money from an apartment. He wanted to give it to a deserving person. Okay. And he chose me. And he said, I'd like you to, I'd like you to have this place and you don't have to pay me for it. You don't have to pay? No, he gave it to me for free. Cool. It was like a one bedroom. There's a little kitchen that, but there's a big kitchen upstairs. He says, listen, you can prepare your food upstairs and you could eat with us when you wanted to as well. And uh, he had a wife and a teenage son or something. And uh, I was just, this is like an affirmation. This is like prayer coming true. Like God gave me a home to live in because I couldn't afford much. It was for free. Uh, not free, and not I, only that, not only that, Paul, but it, it was a beautiful location. Beautiful it wasn't location. it wasn't any old place by any means, by the way you're describing it. It was beautiful. And also brand new. It was all 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 brand new put in downstairs. He, you know, he turned the basement into a beautiful apartment. Uh, and uh, they were going to use it as recreational rooms for themselves, for guests, but they didn't need it. Uh, and then uh, he and his wife decided, let's give it to a deserving person. And where was your piano at this point? Back in Maui. Okay. We're still on Maui. I rented out my uh, home uh, to some friends, to a friend. Uh, she was a massage therapist. And she was taking good care of the piano. All right. So uh, then I move in. And... Uh, um, he invites me upstairs and talk with him, you know, get to know his family more. He's an investor. Okay. Uh, and he said, so what are you doing now? What, what is your, what are your plans? So firstly, had he heard your music? That's the first yeah. question. He had heard, yeah. had he attended any concerts? No. Not no, yet. I, okay. I only did one concert in Oahu, but no, no. He, uh, someone, the person who introduced me to him gave him some, a couple of my cassettes. So we okay. had heard those. Uh, that's, I think, what prompted him to invite me over to stay there. And so I said, well, I'm working on a brand new album now called Miracle of Dolphins. 
I took snow down dolphin sounds from actual recordings of dolphins in Hawaiian waters and making the music. He says, really, how exciting that is. I said, yes, I'm planning, I'm gonna bring my piano over from Maui and I'm gonna bring it to a, the best recording studio here in Oahu. The name of it was Standard Recording. And they recorded mostly Hawaiian music and stuff. Uh, but they had a very nice, very high-end studio. And they would let me bring my piano over and keep it there and practice on it there when they were not busy. Uh, uh, so that when I was ready to record, then they'd record me. A really professional level recording, even faster, 30 inches per second, you know, Ampex tapes, the whole thing. So uh, he said, oh, he says, well, how are you gonna make all that happen? I said, well, I need about $15,000. Oh, really? He says, well, maybe I can help you. And uh, so I went and pulled out a spreadsheet that I had written by hand and showed him the cost and expenses of everything. And then taking it to the mainland and making an LP uh, and making uh, cassettes uh, and I had it all written out, the cost of everything came to $15,000. Okay. And he, he looked and says, there's something wrong with this, Paul. He says, you know, you're not allowing for extra, extra fees that are gonna come up that you don't foresee. You need $20,000. Okay, what's I'm going on here? going to give it to you. What? I'm you gonna can't... write you a check for $20,000 so you can do this while you're staying here at my house. He gave you the money for the recording studio. He wrote me a check. And out of interest, is Hanaviri still in the background and you're still- Oh, we're praying on this all the time. <laughs> and then I call her up and says, well, guess what? <laughs> I told her and she, she went a big hooray. And then we went and she invited me over her house and we had a big, Champagne toast and some to eat. So happy. Champagne toast. Oh, I love it. Champagne toast. Yeah, well, I mean, she was, I mean, she was such a great inspiration to me. She she showed me what true metaphysical thinking is about. She showed me and proved to me that that you don't ever, you know, when you pray for a manifestation. You never suffocate yourself to God and say, oh God, please give me a million dollars. Please give me $20,000. You never ask. The universe knows your heart, your thoughts. The universe already knows your project. It's creating that project with you. Therefore, all you have to do is see it, see it fulfilled, imagine it, know that the universe is, is, is bountiful enough by far Look at all the stars from galaxies. I've never heard anyone articulate manifestation in that way before, in that crystallized way. That's the way it works. That's because the, out the in the, way. because yeah. I'll tell you, out in the world, it's very different what people say. Well, of course, but very different. But you know, we're we're taught not to suffocate ourselves to God. You know, is it like. God, I, I need $10,000, please. It sounds actually lame. No, it is lame. 
You can't do that. <laughs> it's, yeah. It sounds completely not right. Well, most people when do you that. Understand, I, yeah, I agree. They do. Yeah. Well, uh, because they never learned how to pray. Uh, and they never learned how to manifest. They don't know how to manifest. It, you need to understand true metaphysical thinking. And when I say metaphysical, I don't mean woo-woo stuff. I'm yeah. talking about understanding the laws of the universe and how they work, and the laws of God and how, how that works and how money works. Look. I'm amazed. He's, he's, he signed a check for 20000 and you didn't even ask him and it just is here. Okay, recording studio, there you are. Uh, and, and producing the LPs, going to the mainland, you know, uh, and because uh, uh, I have to move to the mainland to start to distribute the music. Uh, I I wasn't getting any money from that uh, contract this time. Okay. No money was coming to me. And that's another story. I'm not even talking about it right here, but it wasn't a happy story. Okay. I was really unhappy that I wasn't getting paid for the work I had done. So uh, no names, no blame, that's the way it worked. Mm -hmm. So why did I attract that to myself? I guess because it would liberate me to go and create my own audience and create a music for the world at large without the limitations of people with smaller minds and smaller ideas. My ideas were big, they were global, they were Cosmic Universal. almost. Cosmic. Universal. Cosmic, yeah. yeah. And I have cosmic music, by the way. We haven't even talked about that yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, this, this story music. is evolving into like, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. It's just beginning, Sylvia. So, okay. So, um, I am on cloud nine. So, that was the whole point in the manifestation is that, is that you know in your mind that the universe is so big it, it is able to create the galaxies of so many stars and in other words if you were to summarize it you would say infinite provision you could say it that way sure it, it's, it's infinite and so i mean just imagine what civilizations exist in galaxies you know billions of light years away from us you know i know we we know so little you see how can you say no you can't no we don't really know and we can only imagine that we're not the only place but i don't want to really talk about that uh it's more in the manifestation is you see the results of what it is you have to manifest i need to manifest a brand new piano I know it costs a lot of money. I know it costs maybe a quarter of a million dollars to get the piano I want. So I visualize the piano coming to me and I go directly to God. And I don't ask God, God knows my heart, already knows the results that I need to, uh, to have. And so therefore, the way of manifestation is not, not yet known. You don't have to try to imagine how it will happen. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you go out and earn the money and you go buy it, of course, you know, that's one way is you get, you just make a lot of money to get the things you want. But there's, it's not about that. It's about 
manifesting love. You can't pay for love. If you really want to manifest love in your life, real, true, beautiful, heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul love, yeah. then you put it into, into mind, into prayers, and you know that it's out there. You know that it exists. You don't try to make it happen. You just if leave one it day, be. You leave might be. meet that person in a coffee shop and you look into each other's eyes and at that moment you know you, you never know how it's going to happen it just if you if you have a clear mind you empty your mind of fear and doubt and worry that is the most important thing you don't let those things come in you stand as Hannah Beery told us guard at the gate of your mind and you allow yeah. only in the thoughts that will serve you and the common good. Common good. Yes. Really important. I, mean, I, I can't think of something that's going to be selfish that only I, that's only good for me and nobody else. If you're trying to manifest something that's inherently selfish, you're not going to do it. Or if you do, you pay dearly for it and it does never works out. It'll yeah. bring you unhappiness ultimately. So, Letting go of selfishness, letting go of egotisticalness, those are really important things we all have to learn in some way or another. And it takes years to work upon oneself. And to... Well, there's so much conditioning in society. There's conditioning in families and you've got to break the cycle of habit as well. Um, and that's a process. It's just right. a human process. Right. Exactly. So, uh, I can't. I am visualizing him just looking at your handwritten spreadsheet and then producing a check for more than what it was. Yes, he said, you, you didn't put in the money that you don't expect that's going to come up, expenses that you didn't foresee. So, what so happened next? What happened? I'm dying to know what happened so next. What, okay, so what happened next is that I then bring the piano over uh, and start practicing on it and start getting my riffs all right and uh, you know getting the music all memorized the way I want it to be and all the layering of all those overtones that when you want to layer the overtones you have to hold the pedal release and hold it release it so you get these tones right and they don't muddy and they get these tones moving circulating all around the piano Oh my God, it's incredible. Like the second piece of, um, of um, uh, Miracle Dolphin, it's called Two Dolphinesques. That's yes. a good example of what I'm talking about. second piece on Miracle of Dolphins. Uh, that, that is an example of what I'm talking about. First piece too, but second piece more. Okay, so I then have, have a series of recording sessions. 
and is a working of the very good recording engineer. I remember his name was Willie. I don't remember his last name. Nicest guy, a little, little older than me, but this really nice guy. And he, he knew the stuff. Yeah. And you see, this was a recording studio that never, ever recorded a solo piano album before. And okay. certainly not on the artist's instrument. They just did Hawaiian music. That's what all the Hawaiian recording studios do is record Hawaiian music. Okay. And there's great Hawaiian music out there. It's a genre that most people don't know of. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music. Oh, Hawaiians have a special way. Flair. They're, they're wonderful. And so and there's a history all going way back to the 1940s, all this, even before uh, of this great music traditions and long before that, of course. Okay. So here I am, the first person to ever do a solo piano album. And this guy, Willie, is really interested in what I'm doing. And he's more like a contemporary of me. So he, he, he knew a lot of stuff. And he was spiritually evolved then. And he coaxed a lot out of me too. So I go and I record and I come back and I, I play for this man, by the way, the one who gave me the money, he said, the only condition is, is that I remain anonymous and you never tell the world my name. That is true gifting. He said, and, and I said, why don't you want to be honored? He said, no. He says, you know, he was obviously very spiritual. He says, look, these funds come from God and they come directly to you. And, you know, give the credit to God. <laughs> Don't give Paul, it to it's, me. it's just amazing. amazing. <laughs> it is. It, it really is amazing. The turns and twists in the story and the, and the thread going through everything. There's a thread yeah. going through the whole thing. And that's oh, it. Oh, sure. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's discovering one's spirituality and learning how to utilize the laws of the universe in a way that serves the common good, serves all. Yeah. So the common good for me is to record an album that I will share with the world. And so I, but the I way, wanna... But what's amazing to me is how that the people surrounding you, you don't know them, they suddenly come into your space and mm -hmm. they're equally aware. Mm -hmm. Yes, you attract to yourself you're not My you're mother. not having you're not having to deal with a person in a record stu a recording studio that no. has no awareness no not a producer who's just demanding this demanding that no i'm producing my own album actually and this gentleman gave me the money to do it i would play i would take home the, the cassettes of what i had recorded that day and play them for him and then I did every piece maybe four or five times over maybe a month time to record the whole album. So I had to decide which one am I going to, which version am I going to use? Uh, so what I would do is I'd get, uh, I, those were the days when you had those Walkman, those Walkmans. I remember them. Walkmans and you put headset on, hair bones on. I used to go down to Waikiki Beach uh, and I would walk around listening to my music, and everybody thought I was crazy. You know, walking around and doing this and making 
uh, like the phrases of the music and uh, going, you know, I don't like this. And, yeah, all this stuff to decide which ones, to, which pieces I want to make into the album. Okay, I finally decide what I'm going to do. And then Willie and I edit the album. So we prepare the album for, for final, the final album. We're taking this piece, taking that one, that recording, this recording, so forth. And we get it all together. And then there was another, another element that I haven't discussed. Remember the Pacific Whale Foundation? They gave me these tapes of okay. whale sounds. Of whale sounds, yes. Yeah. yeah. Even though this is a dolphin album, the dolphins, yes. the whales are cetaceans. They're, they're brothers and sisters, cousins. Uh, so I wanted to have a, a little whale piece in there, a little whale sounds. So we took some of the whale sounds that, that was given to me. And we didn't want to use this one succession of whale sounds. So we took whale sounds from this part of the tape, whale sounds from that part, and that part, and that part. And it took us like a few days and we merged it together to make a whale song. And really, really helped me make that 45 second whale song. Wow. And uh, you'll hear it on Miracle of Dolphins. Okay. Uh, what I do is I, here I'm in a beautiful recording studio, I have my big Grotrian piano there, I have the greatest tuner in the world tuning the piano. Uh, he's a story unto itself. Uh, and his name is Yoshi Nishimura. And Yoshi Nishimura was Yamaha trained jet, Japanese tuner. Boy, did he know how to tune. Not like anybody I've ever known. So I take that perfectly tuned piano in the studio and I speak loud over the strings and I go, whales. And my, my voice resonates over the strings and you can hear the resonance of that sound on, on the piano. And Willie's recorded that. I love and the creativity. I adore there. the creativity of it. I know. It's just whales. And then from there, it goes right into these whale song that we merged together, different sounds of the whales, and made a lovely little 45 second song. Okay, so we put that into the album, get it all finished up, and uh, it gives me the final tape uh, to bring to the mainland. And so now I, after a few months of staying at this man's house, I then told him I'm leaving for the mainland. He had given me the money to go. Um, on the mainland, San Francisco is where I was going. My mother lived in San Francisco, and we loved each other. And, 
So I moved into her apartment. She really wanted me to be there with her. And she had a little bed in the living room opened up. So I slept there. I stayed with my mother for a while. And then I'll talk more about that story another day. Uh, but I want to jump ahead now. Okay. Where the miracle of dolphins reaches its epitome. Okay, That's I'm wondering, I'm just wondering what's going to happen next. Please continue. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead now. This is 1983. Okay. Okay. It was 82 that I recorded the album, finished the album in the beginning of 83. During that period, I presume because you're recording the album in 82 that the concert scene has been minimized because you just haven't the time. I only gave one concert in Oahu at the University of Hawaii. Okay. Which was okay, nothing to write home about. Okay, so now I'm on the mainland living with my mother and uh, I'm going to talk about what happens in our next episode, but I want to jump ahead five years. It's 83. I want to jump ahead to 1988. Okay. The story here is the way we're going to end this podcast, mm -hmm. but it's extremely inspiring. <laughs> Just like we ended our last podcast with going to see the great specter of the Brocken yeah. and podcast where I played for the whales. Here we're going to have one that brings Miracle of Dolphins to its peak. peak. And that's the story. Now, by this time, I was going to art shows all over the country and selling my music. I get a booth in an art show sell the music and I, I developed a whole way of selling it sold a lot of albums we were selling, selling tons of albums uh, in 1988 so now i was on the art show circuit mostly around the western u.s okay. i drove to different places sometimes i fly uh, now i had driven to tucson tucson arizona this is south of phoenix on the way to the mexican border it's a big city of a million people and it's a really wonderful city I mean, i'd imagine very south. art very artistic city as well it is artistic city yeah yes. very artistic and there's old cowboy town old cowboy yeah. movies you think of tucson but it's not just that at all it's quite a sophisticated place and there's a university of, of arizona is in tucson also and so big a lot of stuff going on there it's good okay i'm in tucson and it's the middle of december and it's the very last big art show of the entire season okay that in the art shows the top money that you make is in the summer and in the fall starting from october to december is obviously christmas time people buying christmas presents so i did very well in these art shows just the music wasn't expensive and people would buy it for their friends, stocking stuffers for themselves, whatever. This was the very last show of the season, middle of December. It was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday show. Mm -hmm. But it was very big. It was on 4th Street, 4th Avenue. A very long, mile-long show and it had not just only 
crafts and arts, but it had commercial booths too. Mm -hmm. So it was just like the big citywide thing. Every a million people came to the show in the three days. That's big. That's and it was just filled with people all the time. So they gave you a lot of people to sell to. Yeah. And this was a, I think, like a Saturday, and I was selling very well. I was all by myself. I didn't have staff. Then. Okay. And when you're selling in that kind of environment, which is packed with people and final Christmas gifts and things, uh, it, it's really a ballet of taking in money. That's all it is, because you have your music out there. Oh, I'll, I'll get this one. Oh, I'll get this collection. Here, fine. Okay, fine. Here's your change. Okay, would you please put your name on our mailing list? Oh, sir, would you like me to play that album? Yes, I'll turn that album on. Okay, fine. You know, it's, it's all that. Uh, credit card, here's your credit card, here's your receipt. Thank you very much for signing. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Just real fast, real fast, real fast. And you're making money, and you're taking in the money. Wonderful experience. Okay, while this is all happening, there's a woman, she must have been in her mid-30s, she picks up a cassette of Miracle of Dolphins. And she picks it up and she holds it right to her heart. And she says to me, okay. this, music, this music saved my life. Wow, okay. Well, I'm selling is your change please tell me what happened so she starts telling me her story and she says that uh, she had developed um, cancer in female parts mm -hmm. it had progressed and it had metastasized which means it had gone to other parts of her body yeah yeah and they had tried everything and they couldn't get rid of it. Oh, she no. had three children. Three children. Three children. And she didn't want to say goodbye to her children. She didn't want to leave her children. She didn't want to die. But they put her in hospice. She went to hospice. Okay, and hospice in America, I guess it's the same in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Hospice is where you Go to die. I mean, you yeah, know, you're getting ready to pass on. Yeah, right. Because the yeah. hospitals, they just make you as comfortable as they can. That's, yeah, but they do. That's their job. Well, it was really sad. She's telling the story to me. She doesn't know it's me. I'm a salesman, as far as she's concerned. She's telling her story because I asked her to. But her story is so interesting that all sales slowed down and attention went to her. She okay. was telling the story, and, and there was a bunch of people around who were listening to her, as I am, because I've never heard a story like what I'm hearing right now. And she goes to hospice. Now we're all listening to her. And she says that uh, her uncle gave her a copy of this album, Miracle of Dolphins. She's still holding to her chest. And she says she listened to it. There was something in that album that made her want to live. It gave her hope. She gave wanted to live. It gave her hope. Hope to live. She knew that she could not die, and yet she was dying. If she, she was in third or fourth she, stage, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. She was on and her way. Yeah. She was on her way out. She was only mid-30s. She was going to lose her three kids to her husband. It, it was so terribly sad uh, that 
but there's something in this music that gave her the will to live even stronger than she had ever had. My so she made, a, she made a pact, a promise to herself. All eyes are, are on her. And she says, I promised that she would listen to this on headphones, this album, all the way through, over and over and over again, because she had a roommate in her room. So she could memorize the album, note for note, piece for piece. She could memorize it and play it back in her mind exactly the way she heard it on tape. It was a big task. If she could do that, and she promised herself she would do that, she would not die. That was the fact she made of herself. So she did that over a period of time. So she memorized it. She didn't need to play it anymore. It was in her mind. Well, she went into remission. She went into total remission. Wow. What did the doctors say? Did she tell the, that? The doctors, the, the doctors, she didn't tell them how. The doctors were. Uh, they had never seen this before. They're going to write her up in the medical books. They'd never seen a remission like this. Someone so advanced. Yeah. She was like, like the, way you're, the way you're telling the story, she was just about to basically pass on. She was like mega on her way out. And this reverts the process. Right. Wow. And she was there telling the story. And uh, I had never heard anything like this in my life. I knew my music was healing. I'd used it in the service of healing. People told me it was healing, but I'd never heard a story like this. Whoever hears a story like this? I know. You, you just don't. I mean, it, what you, must have been, you must have been dumbfounded looking at the lady. I was, I was, I couldn't believe it. I, 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 I this was so, enthralled with the story where I said that I realized that all that I went through to make this music, the fact that I wasn't getting paid for the music I'd already done, that was pretty painful. No, for the sure. fact that I had to move from Camille's, but then the fact that is that this man opened his home to me. And all the work I had done just to make the album, listening to the dolphin sounds. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of work, a lot of hard work. It was a few years of intensity. Uh, and then to know that it was all for this, this is why I did it. This is one reason why I did it. Not only to reach a lot of other people in the music, but here is a result that's very real and right in front of me. And I, I, I'm understanding this and I'm thinking of Anabiri you know, I'm thinking of like, oh, this is, I never heard of such a, uh, no, no one ever told me a story like this. I'm flabbergasted, the word in American English, flabbergasted. Yeah, flabbergasted, yeah. Yeah, okay. And everyone around is all this, you know, looking at this and this, looking at her. And then she says to me, could you please tell Mr. Warner a story here? <laughs> She doesn't know it's you. She doesn't know it's me. 
I'm a salesman in her mind. So yeah, I understand. Just, just please, please tell him I think he'd like to know the story. I had tears in my eyes and I said to Marie, you just told him. And she looks at me and she points to me and she says, you, you're Paul Lloyd Warner. You, you oh saved my, my life. Goodness. It was just like that. You saved my life. And everybody starts to clap, you know, and yeah. you saved my life. You know, in that kind of tone. And I go, oh my God. And I realized, no, I didn't save her life. God saved her life, you know. I didn't save her life. Uh, I realized that the music was a catalyst to help her, but it was her will to live. I know she, she made life. the decision and then she just completely filled her mind with high frequency sounds, I suppose. You could say exactly. that. Yeah, dolphin sounds. The dolphin, dolphin sounds. sounds. I mean, yeah. The dolphins, you know, and yeah, it was piano music. But, you know, I was just the, the interpolator. I was not the... I was not the one who healed her and the will to live inside her, God inside That's her. amazing. But she says, I need to hug you. Well, this was a very crowded show and you just couldn't walk around your booth to come out in the front aisle where everybody was. You had to go through a whole bunch of booths to get around. And I found my way out and got to the front and walked back to my booth. And then we hugged and that's when people clapped. She, she looked at me, she has tears in her eyes, I have tears in mine. She you saved my life. I said, man, I said, God saved you. You know, your will to live. The music was a catalyst. No, 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 your music. <laughs> we get a little bit, little mini argument here. You know? <laughs> it's my music is saved that, you know, well, I mean, I can give credit to the music. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I know that God made that all happen. That's when amazing power of this universe, the divine power. I'm not speaking about God, some being in the sky. I'm speaking about the, the infinite power that 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 is this is this you know that's the thread. It's the yeah it's a thread right. going through everything. It's just this right. thread. Exactly. Powerful and, thread of that. And then she just cried. And I cried. And oh my goodness. And then finally, you know, she wrote her name down for me and everything was right. Lost. It was shuffled with so many people. Uh, and then at that point, then after she left, boy, did I have a flurry of sales. <laughs> I can imagine a big ballet dance went on then. Oh my God, yeah, there were people. It was a disco. That's a story like that. Wow. So that's that's what happened, and that's the way I want to bring this podcast to is to share that incredible, beautiful, beautiful story. It's beautiful, Paul.
To find out more about Waterfall Music and the Paul Lloyd Warner Foundation, go to waterfallgiving.com.